John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Thanks, Daniel. And congratulations to Daniel. He graduated, if y'all did not know that, from high school. Way to go, Daniel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray now for the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in the preaching, the proclaiming of the gospel. Lord, help us all to really be open to what your Holy Spirit would speak to our own souls today. Come and feed your sheep, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. How many um, here remember knee-high grape soda? Remember it? It's iconic. I picked one up the other day. I remember walking down to the corner store with my brother. I was probably about five years old, not a very far walk. And we would get soda, and, and it was so refreshing. You, you would get it. You'd open the little box, and you'd pull out, the, and then you would drink it there and then give him back the bottle to get your deposit back. Y'all remember that? Yes. So when you sat there outside the store and you're pondering life's imponderables at age five, what do you ponder? So I was thinking, why would my older brother tell me every time I heard the ice cream truck in the neighborhood to go run and hide under the steps of the house? Why would my older brother do that? So, there is an iconic prophet that Daniel just read about, as iconic as a great Nehi. His name was Nehemiah, and he pondered life's imponderables. He pondered the age-old question, why is there evil and suffering in this world? Do you all know that's the number one reason why people either don't come to faith or give up on the faith as they can't get a proper understanding, a proper theology of suffering and pain and evil. Nehemiah had to deal with that for he was a part of a group of Jewish people who had been taken into captivity, though he was born in captivity. But then Nehemiah went one further step. It's an important step. Lord, there's evil and suffering in this world. I may not understand it, but what do you want me to do about it? What do you want me? What can I do? In 586 B.C., the Lord allowed his own people because of their disobedience. So let that be a warning. He allowed his own people to be defeated by the Babylonian Empire. They were taken into captivity. It didn't happen all in one battle. It took a series of time. But because they had continued in disobedience to the Lord, they disobeyed what the prophets called them to do. They disobeyed God's law and moral teaching. God let them 
suffer the consequences of their actions. Today we're going to focus on Nehemiah and how the Lord raised him up to call God's people back to him. I am grateful that Pastor Jeremy preached the last couple weeks. I hope that you go and listen to all his sermons on Nehemiah. They're on, they're on uh, the church website. I've, I'm going to finish that myself. I haven't had time to finish them all. But I wanted to have one sermon where I took a step back and looked at the big picture. Instead of dealing with one chapter at a time like Pastor Jeremy, I wanted to give you the big picture of Nehemiah and the big theme. I want to preach today about also, and I'll get to this at the end, what I feel called to do on sabbatical. Let me give you a thumbnail sketch of Nehemiah. Who is he? Well, he's not a prophet. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll see a list of all the minor prophets. You won't see Nehemiah because he's not a prophet. You'll see him in a different section, the historical books with Esther and with Ezra. Nehemiah, well, he did not taste test great Nehi, but he was the wine taster for the king of Persia. That means he was a cup bearer. It means he had a very important role in terms of the security of the ruler. You might think of him as being in the secret service, as being part of the security team for the king at that time, Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is the son of Xerxes. Xerxes married Esther, if you want to put all those things together. So this head of security for the king of Persia knew that it was illegal, it was against Persian law to be in a downcast spirit in front of the Persian ruler. You could lose your life. But he was. Because Nehemiah opens with the bad news that the walls of Jerusalem have not yet been rebuilt. A group had already gone and built the temple. They laid foundations. They, even that was delayed, but that was done. And now there's no security in the city of Jerusalem because there are no walls. Yes, walls equal security, especially in those days. Here is Nehemiah, a person who, let's face it, has the trust of King Artaxerxes and all the people in charge of watching over him. Only a man with upright character would be given such a responsibility. That's who Nehemiah is. He's got a great job in terms of responsibility. And keep in mind, he's a Jew in the land of Persians. So what's happening during this time in national politics? I need to set this context or you're not going to understand the central importance of Nehemiah. God had put it on the heart of the Persian Empire and several Persian rulers, beginning with Cyrus, to go and allow Jerusalem and the temple, the city, to be rebuilt. There's a chart up here, and it, this chart's easy to look at. At the top, you see the Persian rulers. You even see 
Queen Esther there with Xerxes. You see the books of the Bible that talk about these times. Zerubbabel, who was a governor in the city, that's talked about in the first wave of people going back to Jerusalem. That's talked about in the first part of Ezra. And then right in the middle of Ezra is really where, where the story of Esther takes place. And then the rest of Ezra, you see, is the priest Ezra, a scribe, who's reading the law to the people, and there's a revival. And then the last wave, the third wave of people coming back to land is with Nehemiah, and that's what the book of Nehemiah is about, the third wave of, of people, the Jewish people going back to Jerusalem. This other chart looks at the timeline, so if dates help you, you can see the dates there and the other prophets involved. The main thing I want you to see is that Nehemiah comes onto the scene in 444 B.C. because the Lord had put it on his heart. So the book opens in the Persian city of Susa. Later that year, Nehemiah travels to the Holy Land, his homeland, though he wasn't born there, but his heart's there. And he's leading the third and final return of the Jewish people, following 70 years of exile that had been prophesied. And the events of the book of Esther, as I said before, already happened. Keep this in your mind. A Jewish holocaust has already been averted. There's already been a miracle because the Jews almost were wiped completely out, but the Lord raised up Esther for such a time as that. Now the Lord raises up Nehemiah. So why is Nehemiah so important? Well, here's what I want you to understand. Nehemiah is the example of godly leadership and the power of prayer that affects real change in this world by seeking God's will and being obedient to God's call. That's who Nehemiah is. That's why he was so important. Nehemiah is a layman. He's not a priest or a scribe like Ezra, and he's not a prophet like his contemporary Malachi. Under Nehemiah's leadership, the Jews withstood opposition, and they came together to accomplish God's purpose, and that purpose was to provide security back to the city and rebuild the walls. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything greater in life than accomplishing God's purposes? Anything greater in life? Don't we all live a purpose-driven life so that we accomplish God's purpose? Isn't that our number one priority? If the Lord Jesus tells us to do it, then that's what we want to do. There is nothing greater, nothing greater than accomplishing God's purpose. The longer I live, the more convinced I am that you can't do that without the power of prayer. That's what Nehemiah is all about. God's purpose is being fulfilled because of the power of prayer in Nehemiah's life and the people. You see, Nehemiah led by example. He prayed. He also, because of prayer, 
gave up the respected position of head of security for King Artaxerxes. He gave up an easy, easy life in the palace so he could go back to a homeland that he'd never seen and he could give himself to a people that were stiff-necked, to say the least. Nehemiah set an example that every godly leader is expected to keep, or they're really not a godly leader. Nehemiah sought the glory of the Lord, not his own. Amen? That's what godly leadership's about. You seek the glory of the Lord, not your own. So God called Nehemiah to lead God's people to rebuild the walls. They did it in 52 days. I can't even get the billing company for the doctor to give me a bill in 52 days with insurance. Can I get an amen? 52 days. Now, Nehemiah is an example for many reasons, but I'm just going to focus on that part of his life. That is the power of prayer. We're powerless without that. I really believe that. I believe the longer I live, that without prayer, we're not going to see the humility that we need in our own life, nor are we going to see God's power expressed in our lives. Nehemiah, like a great Nehi, is the iconic prayer warrior in the Old Testament, even in the midst of adversity. He didn't pray because they had it easy. He prayed because it was hard. God didn't call him, to, call him to something that was easy. He called him to something that was hard. Brothers and sisters, pray for the parents. God didn't call them to be parents because it's easy, it's hard. Pray for the people that are part of the church leadership. That's not easy. That's hard. Pray for small business owners and people in business. That's not easy. That's hard. This section of my sermon that I want to focus on is about prayer in the book of Nehemiah. So I wanted to take a step back, and I wanted us to see the big picture. And, and the very first thing I want to do is give you a quote from a sermon I read from Bob Markell from Dr. R.G. Lee. It's up on the screen for you. If you trust in administration, you get what administration can do. If you trust in hard work, you get what hard work can do. If you trust in your sparkling personality, you get what your sparkling personality can do. But if you trust in prayer, you get what God can do. Amen. The very first thing you see when you look at Nehemiah from the big picture is the priority of prayer in his life. It's the only book of the Bible other than Psalms that opens with prayer and closes with prayer. We read, Daniel read, the first part it contained a prayer. The book has 12 prayers. And really, if you look at the big picture, to me, Nehemiah says one thing. Pray on it. Pray over it. Most of all, 
pray through it. Let me say that again. Pray on it, pray over it, and most of all, pray through it. Never give up in prayer. Jesus told us that. Jesus said we ought always to pray. That's our Lord and Savior. If Jesus were here today, he would say to you once again, you should always pray. The apostles, where was their power? It was in prayer. They said, we gave ourselves to prayer in Acts chapter 6. James said, you do not have because you do not ask God, because you don't pray. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, to rejoice always, but then how do you rejoice? You pray without ceasing. You be in such attitude of mind that you're always able to be in conversation with the Lord, listening and speaking. I believe that the church is weak today. You know why? Because we're not on our knees praying. Churches around the world are seeing revival, and it's because they're on their knees praying. There are churches that dedicate themselves to nothing but prayer. And when the church does that, they see God's power unleashed. Some people may not understand the power of prayer. They don't understand why the pastors or other people want to go and spend time prayer and, and prayer and fasting. But it's absolutely essential that spiritual leadership is fueled by prayer. Nehemiah taught us that. Did Nehemiah waste time in prayer? In chapter 1, we notice that he begins with prayer and then he goes into four months. Four months of praying before he actually speaks to the king. Four months of preparation by prayer. One person is the anvil upon which God fashions us into the kind of people that he can trust with his power and his purposes. Y'all know I love Charlie Brown and Peanuts. There's one Peanuts cartoon where Lucy sets up her iconic psychiatric booth where she'll give you psychiatric advice for five cents. Snoopy comes, sits on the bench, doesn't say anything, and then he leaves. And Lucy says, you can't do much when the patient won't talk. I would say to you, that that was Charles Schultz's way of saying, God can't do much when his people don't pray. I know Charles Schultz was a dedicated believer and tried to send us messages about spiritual things through his cartoons. God can't do much when we don't pray, when we don't talk, when we don't listen. Prayer doesn't change things. If I stopped there with that sentence, that would be blasphemy. But prayer doesn't change things. God changes things in answer to prayer. Can I say that again? Prayer doesn't change things. God changes things in answer to prayer. That's where our power is. And Nehemiah demonstrated that power to us four months he prayed 
The Bible says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. That's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It also says, When hope is delayed, the heart is crushed. Proverbs 3.12. I can't imagine during those four months where Nehemiah was ready. He was ready. He was getting ready. He was wanting to do it. He wanted to do something. But the Lord, it's not yet time. It's not yet time. It's not yet time. I've been in those frustrating moments where I'm ready to do something. The Lord knows I'm ready to do something. And the Lord keeps saying, you got to wait. And I keep saying, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. Nehemiah prayed and he learned patience. Ed Harvey said, a day without prayer is a day without blessing. And a life without prayer is a life without power. Nehemiah knew that. He prayed and he was able to plug into God's power. Lastly, when you look at the big picture of Nehemiah, you look at the practice of prayer in his life and how it developed his character, especially humility and trust. Nehemiah, Nehemiah realized he could not accomplish anything in his own power. How many people know that? You cannot accomplish things that are for the glory of God in your own power. Nehemiah realized that. That's why he is the iconic example of a praying man who prayed while he worked. You remember the story of the building of the walls? 52 days. But during that time, opposition came up. And Nehemiah had to arm his people with a weapon in one hand and a, and a tool in the other to build. And they just kept working and praying. Working and praying. Working and praying. They go together. The book of Nehemiah opens with the bad news. And here's what Nehemiah said when he heard it. I heard these things. I sat down. I wept. Because why did he weep? Because he heard that the walls had not been rebuilt. That the city was still in shambles. He said, for days I mourned and I prayed and I fasted. And then I said, God of heaven, look at me, Lord, and hear my prayer as I pray day and night, night and day. And then he prayed this, Lord, give me success today before this man, which is the king, so he will have mercy on me and not take my life. What did you learn in that one verse? That it's okay to pray for success. Have you been praying for success? I want you to pray for success. Nehemiah prayed for success in the endeavor that God gave him to do. I've been praying for that. I don't think there's anything wrong. I think that's God's will that we're supposed to pray for success. For a season of four months, he prayed. Four months before he talked to the king, and the second thing you see in the big picture of this book is that prayer above all else is the reason that the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. All the opponents were defeated and the people were revived when they came back to obey the scripture. 
The third thing that happened in the book about prayers is that when, when the king, when King Artaxerxes asked Nehemiah, why was he so downcast? You know what Nehemiah did before he even answered? The Bible says he prayed at that very moment. Some people call those popcorn prayers because they just, they're just quick prayers. But he prayed immediately. But the only reason he prayed immediately is because that was his mindset. He was a man of prayer. He was always praying. And when he came face to face with the king who could have taken his life, Nehemiah immediately prayed. Immediately. Later, he faces two enemies when he goes to Jerusalem. One of them is named Sanballat. The other is Tobiah. They laughed in his face. You ever had anybody laugh in your face? They laughed in Nehemiah's face. They said, it could never be done. You know what Nehemiah's response was? He prayed. Then they came a second time, and they laughed. And they laughed at the workmen. And they laughed at Nehemiah behind his back and in his face. You know what Nehemiah did? He prayed. And then when, when Sambalat warned that the people would quit and give up, Nehemiah simply prayed again, and he said, Lord, strengthen my hands. And then when the people finally listened to the word of God, Nehemiah lifts up his hands. He, he also lifts up four short prayers that he just simply asked for the Lord to remember him and his work for the glory of the Lord. Last thing, Nehemiah is really a personal diary, more personal than probably any other book in, in the Old Testament. And he just prays for God to remember him. I've, I've committed myself to be on sabbatical for about a month. I've committed myself to do something that I hate to do. And that's right. A reflection every day in prayer. I'm not a journal person. Anybody here keep a journal? I know some people keep a journal. You got volumes and volumes. When I get to the end of my day, I put it to bed. I don't want to remember it. I give it to the Lord. But I'm going to take a moment each day and in prayer seek the Lord and write something. Nehemiah's work that you read comes from his heart inspired by the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah is an Old Testament icon of prayer. He's the great Nehi Soda of all the people that you read about. John Wesley said, Proceed with much prayer, and your way will be made plain. That's another reason why I've asked for a sabbatical. But I wonder before I talk to you more about my sabbatical. How's your prayer life? Are you convicted when you read about Nehemiah and the power of prayer in his life? Do you realize that the Holy Spirit speaking to you about the need for prayer in your own life? What if you did a self-assessment of your own prayer life? Nobody else telling you anything, just you and the Lord. And you just, in prayer, ask the Lord, Lord, where am I at in my prayer life? 
Do I pray every day? Do you pray to give him glory and honor during the day? Are you grateful for the, the privilege to come of the Lord Jesus Christ? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about prayer? As much as I know that the Holy Spirit's been putting that on my heart, I can't imagine that the Lord doesn't put that on your heart as well. So I want to call you to prayer, even as I am going to take a sabbatical to really focus on prayer. I don't believe there's anything more important. I think Nehemiah inspires us to remember that's where our power comes from. It's where our humility comes from. It's where our passion comes from. It's where our love comes from. It's where our hope comes from. We have got to be a people of prayer. I believe that. And I confess to you, I'm not where I want to be in my own life with prayer. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I start next Sunday, 30 days, and I'm dealing, I'm, I'm going to read several books. One of them is Every Prayer of the Bible. Yes, it's pretty big. I'm going to read that book, and then I'm going to read a book, a classic book I've read before. Joe Fort gave it to me as, as well, With Christ in the School of Prayer. But mainly, I want to pray. So I want to ask you to do me a favor. As your pastor, humbly ask that every day during that time that I'm away and in sabbatical, would you pray for me? Would you pray for our staff? I'm not worried about, I am not worried about things getting done while I'm gone. We have a great staff. I'm not worried about that at all. But I do want you to pray for them. Somebody said to me, Pastor, you deserve the sabbatical. That's not true. Nobody deserves a sabbatical. A sabbatical is a gift. It's a gift of grace by the church. So I'm very grateful. For the first time in my life, in 37 years of ministry, to actually have a sabbatical to focus on prayer. I did take a sabbatical about seven or eight years ago, but the United Methodist Church made me work during the sabbatical and do a project. I had to shut myself away for two straight weeks and write a sermon every single day. I won't be doing that this time. That also came at the most difficult part of my life. The trial for the custody of Jacob had just ended. I had lost 10 pounds during that two weeks. I was emotionally, physically, spiritually spent, not to mention financially. I needed that break, and the church gave it to me. I'm at a different place in my life today. Our church has been through a lot, but no more than any other. There are always seasons in the life of the church and seasons in the life of spiritual leaders. I realize I need to take a step back, just like I took a step back today and preached for you about Nehemiah. I need to take a step back, and I need to pray. It's, it's so important. It's so important that I'm going to devote myself to this time I need your prayers. 
I want to thank you in advance for praying for me. I believe with all my heart that God is going to do and is doing a great work in this church and in the life of the Global Methodist Church. I believe that. And I know that unless we're t plugged in and, and, and tuned in to what God is doing by prayer, we're going to miss that. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.